I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Storytimes. I'm Michelle. And I'm Kirsten. And today, I am doing the 2001 anthrax attacks. I never heard of it. What'd you say? I said I never heard of it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of a long one, so strap in. We're kind of going to go over more about the investigation and what they found in the anthrax. And I did put a lot of... Um, descriptions in here in here about certain words that i didn't really know so i figured maybe somebody listening wouldn't know and so i put a lot of the descriptions of the words in here okay sounds good let's hop right in get into it if you live in america um you definitely know about september 11 2001 i mean we talk Mm -hmm. about it every year it was pretty devastating day for all of us even though i was really young obviously Mm mm-hmm um, but a lot of people remember exactly where they were and what they were doing that day. And we lost a lot of people when that happened. Mm-hmm. Sorry to start this off really sad, but it's true. It's part of history. Yep. And, um, you know, just the first responders and the people who worked in the buildings that jumped from the buildings and all that. And the people on the planes that were crashed into the buildings. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just really sad day for everybody, obviously. And, so everybody was already on high alert is basically what i'm trying to say and um the incident of the anthrax attacks happened about a week after the september 11th attacks so mm-hmm. so people were already like devastated about yeah what's going on and mm-hmm. mourning and and on high alert like basically that. yeah like anything could happen i mean they that's didn't why know what was what the future held at that point. yeah and that's why the u.s security is so like always on high alert because of this yeah, this it yeah. really definitely that was like a turning point mm-hmm. for the united states i think so anyways r.i.p to all those people and yep thank you for your service for all those first responders that passed away and mm-hmm. you know just everybody on that day and i hope you're resting in peace yep so let's get into the anthrax attacks let's get into it so they came in two different waves so the first set of the anthrax letters had a Trenton, New Jersey postmark dated September 18th of 2001. Okay. Five letters were believed to be mailed at this time. These letters were mailed to ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, and New York Post, all in New York City. And why is ABC, CBS, NBC? It all sounds like it's just the same letters, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one was also sent to the National Inquirer, Inquirer at American Media, Inc. in Boca Raton, Florida. And I mm. hope that's how you pronounce that. Does, uh, never mind. What? I was going to say, does this have anything to do with what happened on 9-11? No. Because it's just, it's just, um, Well, we'll just get into it later. Ironic that it's all in New York City. Yeah. Well, except for one. Well, we'll just get into okay. it, into okay. that theory later. Okay. But, um, yeah. So, a man by Robert Stevens, who worked at the Sun Tabloid, which is also published by American Media Inc., which mm-hmm. we mentioned a second ago, mm-hmm. he died on October 5th of 2001. He entered a Florida hospital with an undiagnosed illness where he was vomiting and short of breath. Okay. Um, the only two letters found from the five were the New York Post and the NBC News. Okay. Um, Robert D- Stevens did die from the anthrax. We'll did. later find out. Okay. Um, the existence of three other letters is inferred because people at ABC, CBS, and NBC were found to be infected with anthrax. So, they never got those letters, but mm-hmm. they know they were there because those people got infected as well. So, it, it, this disease came through the letters? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, scientists examining the anthrax from the New York Post letter said it appeared as a clumped, coarse, brown, granular material looking like dog food. Oh, okay. So it was like 
literal drugs mm-hmm. in an envelope. Yeah. That caused these people to... I don't know if it's a drug. Well, but, no, yeah. not a drug, but... An infectious disease, yes. I guess we'll say. I'm pict- I mean, I'm picturing it as, like, if somebody were to, like, have, I don't know, fucking cocaine yeah. in a yeah. piece of paper. You know? Well, not that. That's not cocaine in a piece of paper. It's brown, granular. I know. Looking like dog food. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but the but other I'm letters pi- are... I'm picturing it as, like... You I know, get what people you mean. put put it in paper yeah, yeah, to yeah, like yeah. preserve it or whatever. I, I get you. Yeah, yeah. So two more anthrax letters within October 9th, three weeks after the first mailing. So they had the October 9th stamp. Okay. These letters were addressed to two Democratic senators, Tom Daschle of South Dakota and Patrick Leahy of Vermont. And I did leave links to them in our notes. So if you want to see what they look like. Okay. So, Dashiell was the Senate Majority Leader, and Leahy was head of the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time. So, they were important people. Um, the Dashiell letter was opened by an aide, Grant Leslie, on October 15th. Um, the government mail service was shut down because of the anthrax letters. Okay. The unopened Leahy letter was discovered in an impounded mail bag on November 16th. And the Leahy letter had been misdirected to the State Department mail annex in Sterling, Virginia. So the zip code was misread, and a postal worker there, David Hose, contracted inhalational anthrax, which will go into, like, the different ways you can contract anthrax here in a bit. So these two letters were more potent than the first set of letters, and the substance was a highly refined powder that consisted of one gram of pure spores of anthrax. Okay. So, several conflicting reports were claiming that the anthrax powder was weaponized with silica. And if you don't know what silica is, silicon dioxide, also known as silica, is an oxide of silicon with the chemical formula SiO2, most commonly found in nature as quartz and in various living organisms. In many parts of the world, silica is the major constituent of sand. Silica is one of the most complex and most abundant families of materials existing as a compound of several minerals and as a synthetic product. Notable examples include fused quartz, fumed silica, silica gel, and aerogels. So silica gel is like that thing that you get the silica gel packets and the stuff that you buy. Oh, okay, okay. It is used in structural materials, microelectronics, as an electrical insulator, and as components in the food and pharmaceutical industries. So, silica is highly used, if mm-hmm. you haven't realized. But it can't be ingested. If it's weaponized. If it's used as... We'll right, get into right. what that means here in a minute, though. Well, that's why, like, on the silica gel packets, it's like... It do says not do eat not it. eat. Yeah. Because you die or whatever. Yeah. It's not good for you. But, yeah. yeah. So, silica is an occupational hazard for people who do sandblasting or work with products that contain powdered crystalline silica because you can inhale it, Mm -hmm. basically. So, amorphous silica, such as fumed silica, may cause irreversible lung damage in some cases, but it's not associated with the development of silicosis. Children, asthmatics of any age, those with allergies, and the elderly, all who have all of whom have reduced lung capacity can be affected in less time. So, it can affect kids and older people more than it can people our age. Okay. People in their 40s. Mm-hmm. So, crystalline silica is an occupational hazard for those working with stone countertops because of the process of cutting and installing the countertops creates large amounts of airborne silica. So, I'm just basically describing, like, all of the things that this can be used for mm-hmm. and how dangerous it can be. Okay. So, crystalline silica used in hydraulic fracturing presents a health hazard to workers as well. Okay. So, silica isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, apparently not. It's basically, if it's an airborne form, it's not good for you. Mm-hmm. So, so um, the reason it's not good for you is because these crystalline silica particles do not dissolve over clinically relevant periods. So, they don't dissolve in your lungs. It's okay. like some stuff you breathe and it just dissolves out, you right. know? But these don't. They just attach to your lungs and stay. And stay there. Yeah. Yikes. Sorry, that was a lot. And a lot of I, big words. A lot of biology words. Yeah, I definitely had to look up how some of these words were pronounced because you're a girl. No. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> I kind of just looked it up. But basically saying that, like, it basically produces this thing and it makes your lungs very inflamed. And mm-hmm. that's basically what it... And gotcha. it fucks up your immune system. Gotcha. 
So regulations restricting the silica exposure with respect to silicosis hazards specify that they're concerned only with silica, which is both crystalline and dust forming. So the crystals can mess you up too if you breathe them in or ingest them, like mm-hmm. you were saying. And the dust you can ingest as well. It's way easier to ingest the dust than it is the crystals. Gotcha. So in 2013, the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration reduced the exposure limit. So okay. So they, there's less of a chance of you breathing it in. Yes. So now back onto the anthrax attacks. We were just basically saying that to talk about background. how dangerous silica is. It seems like it's pretty fucking dangerous. Yeah. So bioweapons experts who later viewed images of the anthrax attack saw no indication of weaponization so they're saying there's no silica by the way there's a huge debate about this Hmm. so tests by sandia national laboratories in early 2002 confirmed that the attack powders were not weaponized right okay so we'll get more into that again later on but this was a huge debate of whether they were weaponized with silica or not and if they're weaponized with silica it makes it easier to breathe them in Mm -hmm. that's why it would be weaponized okay So, at least 22 people were infected with anthrax infections, and 11 of those people contracted the inhalation variety. So, they breathed it in. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are three different ways to contract anthrax infections. Skin, lungs, and stomach and intestine. So, So touching it, breathing it in, or eating it. Yep, basically. So, five of those people died of inhalational anthrax which is the more deadly version. Mm -hmm. So Robert Stevens, who we talked about, um, two employees of the Brentwood Mail Facility in Washington, D.C., Thomas Morris Jr. and Joseph Kersine, and two whose source of exposure to the bacteria is still unknown, Kathy Nugent, a Vietnamese immigrant resident in the New York City borough of the Bronx, who worked in the city, and the last known victim, Adelie Lundgren, a 94-year-old widow, of a prominent judge from Oxford, Connecticut. So they don't know how these people got infected, but they died from it. Okay. So authorities believe that the letters were mailed from Princeton, New Jersey. Investigators found anthrax spores in a city street mailbox located at 10 Nassau Street near the Princeton University campus. And about 600 mailboxes were tested for anthrax, which could have been used to mail the letters. And the Nassau Street box was the only one to test positive. Hmm. So none of the other 600 mailboxes tested positive but this one. At the un- the Princeton University campus. Yep. So now we're going to talk about the New York Post and NBC newsletter, what they contained. So they contained what they said. They had the date at the top, 9-11-01. Coincidence? Yeah. This is next. Take penicillin now. Death to America. Death to Israel. Allah is great. So, there, this is... That doesn't really sound to me like a terrorist attack. I mean, but if it says Allah is great, and it also says this is next. Well, it just says take pen... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is next, and this Just because happens. somebody says Allah is great doesn't mean they're a terrorist, though. That's a whole religion. Right. No, I know that. But it's dated with 9-11 yeah just the same date obviously that but it could be somebody happened. just trying to do that as an american trying to cover their tracks and make it seem like it's a terrorist that's attack. true that's true because just because they said all is great that doesn't mean anything to me this is some kind of attack yeah but i don't necessarily think it's a, it's a terrorist attack well in my opinion i think terror the term terrorist is not like directed towards a certain group of people i i feel like a terrorist is just somebody who's trying to so even if this is somebody from america it could still be considered a terrorist right but i'm just saying like because it's against the country when people think of terrorists they don't necessarily think of somebody from the united states yeah but it also says take penicillin yeah exactly so So, they were telling them take penicillin because you're sick why would you send it out but then also tell the the cure for it or whatever i don't know know what i'm saying i don't know this is this is all kind of kind of sketch so the second note was addressed to senators dashiell and Leahy and read same date 9-11-01 at the top it said you cannot stop us we have this anthrax you die now are you afraid death to america death to israel 
Allah is great. That's so strange. Yeah. Death so basically, to America, death to Israel. So basically, they're saying, we have this anthrax. They're telling you what it is when they sent the letter. Right. So. And if if it happened a week after 9-11, mm-hmm. then it was mailed out. Had to have been mailed out, like, pretty much the well, same time. Well, it said time when it was mailed out. Was mailed out on the... On September 18th. The 18th. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was received on the 18th. I thought it said it was mailed out. Because the date on the postage was yeah, the 18th. Yeah. yeah. So, that means it was when mailed. they got it, it was stamped with the Yeah, 18th, you're right. So. so, all of these letters were actually copied by a copy machine, and the original letters were never found. So, they were trying to cover their tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, each of the letters were also trimmed to a slightly different size. Weird. Yeah. So, the letters sent to the Senate used punctuation, but the letters sent to the media did not. Hmm. The lettering on the media letter is about twice the size of the lettering on the Senate letters and the envelopes the letters were in. So, the writing's different. It's just off. Mm-hmm. Um, the envelopes addressed to Senators Daschle and Leahy had fictitious, a fictitious return address. Fourth grade, Greendale School, Franklin Park, New Jersey, 08852. Now, Franklin Park, New Jersey exists, but the zip code 08852 is for a nearby Monmouth Junction, New Jersey, not hmm. Franklin Park, New Jersey. And there is no Greendale School in Franklin Park or Monmouth Junction, New Jersey, there, there is a Green Book Elementary School in adjacent South Brunswick Township, New Jersey. So, the zip code and where they were wanting to send it was wrong. So, the whole thing was just messed up. Yes. So, the whole investigation of the letters had many leads, which included many letters that were supposedly linked to the anthrax letters, but were never actually directly linked. Okay. So, before the New York letters, there was actually bogus letters mailed from St. Petersburg, Florida, which at the time were thought to be anthrax letters or related to them. Okay. There was also a letter received at Microsoft offices in Reno, Nevada after the Senate letters. Um, they ended up giving a false positive in a test for anthrax, and later it was released that the letter came from Malaysia. Hmm. Marilyn Thompson of the Washington Post connected the letter to Stephen Hatfield, whose girlfriend is from Malaysia. Mm. Um, the letter actually contained a check in pornography, Yikes. And the letter was not considered a threat at this time. Another copycat hoax letter was opened by reporter Judith Miller in the New York Times newsroom. And there was another letter that mimicked the original anthrax letter to Senator Daschle from London in 2001. At this time, Stephen Hatfield was in England and not too far off from London. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, there's a bunch of different fake letters that have were sent, basically. Weird. Yeah. Strange. Odd. Shortly before the discovery of the anthrax letters, someone sent a letter to authorities stating, Dr. Assad is a potential biological terrorist. So many people are getting blamed for this right now. It's so weird. Yeah. So Assad was born in Egypt and became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 1981. He holds a Ph.D. in physiology from Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. His wife is from Nebraska, and Assad worked as a civilian research scientist at the U.S. Army's Medical Research Institute for Infectious Diseases. And this was in Fort Derrick, Maryland, from 1989 to 1997. Um, while there, he developed a ricin vaccine. Um, in 1991, when working at USAMRIID, Assad filed a formal complaint against co-workers, including Philip Zack and Marion Rippey, for racial harassment. The USAMRIID commander, Colonel Ronald Williams, investigated and ruled in Assad's favor, singling out Zack and Rippey for leading the so-called Camel Club, which had anonymously sent Assad an eight-page insulting poem. What the fuck? Yeah. So these people are crazy. There's a lot of moving parts to the story, so I'm sorry, guys. I hope you can keep up. Just pay attention. So, (laughs) according to Salon Magazine, the Army investigation documents further revealed that the two, Zach and Rippy, both married, were also having an affair. So they were having an affair on the side. 
of their marriages and insulting Dr. Assad. Hmm. Um, Colonel Williams wrote to Assad, based upon your complaint, I directed that an informal investigation be conducted. The investigation revealed that Lieutenant Colonial... Damn it, I did it again. did it again. That Lieutenant Colonel Zach and Dr. Rippey had participated in discriminatory behavior. On behalf of the United States of America, the Army, and this Institute, I wish to genuinely and humbly apologize for this behavior. So he sent him a letter apologizing, which was good. Yeah. And both those people were reprimanded for harassing him. Um, Zach left USAMRIID in December 1991, and Rippy left in February 1992. So, they left one right after the other. Um, Assad stayed until March of 1997, so he was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, budget cuts there led to him being laid off in March 1997, for which he sued the U.S. Army for age and ethnic discrimination. So... I can see that. Well, I can see why. On October 2nd of 2001, three days before the first fatality from anthrax in the 2001 domestic U.S. terrorism attacks, FBI agent Gregory Leigh-Legan, that's a rough word. That is rough. Leigh-Legan. Leigh-Legan. It's hard, isn't it? Leigh-Legan? Sure. Called and asked Assad to come in for questioning, which he did the next day. So, they asked him to come into questioning for the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, the FBI had received an anonymous letter, postmarked September 21st, 2001, in which an alleged co-worker warned that Assad might be planning a biological attack. Yeah. And the timing on all of this is very noteworthy, because the anthrax victim, Robert Stevens, was not admitted to a Florida hospital until October 2nd, and he was not diagnosed with anthrax until October 3rd. Okay. The first set of letters containing real anthrax were mailed on September 18th. Okay. So, they got the letter. He basically got sick not long after he got the letter. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, um, and now we're going to talk about the letter that was sent to the FBI mm-hmm. about Dr. Assad. Um, it was 212 words. Dang. Uh, it was sent to the FBI, and it was unsigned, but it was computer-typed, so they couldn't link any, like, writing to anyone. Like, who typed it? Yeah. So, basically, here's a part that it stated. Uh, Dr. Assad is a potential biological terrorist. I have worked with Dr. Assad, and I heard him say that he has a vendetta against the U.S. government, and that if anything happens to him, he told his sons to carry on. What? Yeah. So, they're saying they had worked with him before. Yeah, yeah. So, and tried who, do, saying who that, do you really think this is? The people that got reprimanded. Oh. For. Oh, yeah. Trying um, to get back harassing at him. him. Trying to get back at yeah. him. So, according to Dr. Assad, the letter writer clearly knew my entire background. My training in both chemical and biological agents, my security clearance, what floor I work now, and that I have two sons. What I trained, I take to work, and where I live. So, Don Foster concluded it was sent by a female officer at Fort Derrick, although he did not name Marion Rippey directly. But allegedly, we all know it was her. Apparently. I mean, who else would it be? Right. She's pissed. The FBI cleared uh, Dr. Assad of the allegations, and according to Chris Murray, an FBI spokesman, we received an anonymous letter with certain allegations about Dr. Assad. Our investigation has determined those allegations are unfounded. Our investigation is complete, period. 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 Boo, period. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I had to. I'm sorry. (laughs) With your nails? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. Sorry. Uh, No connection to the anthrax letters was ever found through this. So So this was just a letter from her. Yeah, basically trying to frame him. Mm Mm-hmm. For the anthrax. Yeah. Because he's of a different race. But you said that the first person that got the anthrax was not diagnosed until October 3rd. Mm-hmm. The letter was sent out September 18th. This letter? No. This letter was received. Um, it was postmarked September 21st, 2001. The letter... The letters containing the real anthrax were mailed on September 18th. Mm-hmm. So, how did they know? 
See, that's what I'm saying. If the first person wasn't diagnosed until October 3rd. How did they know? Fishy. Sketchy fishy. Well, it said that he might be planning a biological attack. They didn't. They, s- they didn't say anthrax. Yeah. Okay. Bust. So, during the first... Whoa. I'm way too damn close. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me redo that. Okay. <laughs> so, during the first years of the FBI's investigation... Don Foster, a professor of English at Vassar College, attempted to connect the anthrax letters and various hoax letters from the same period to Stephen Hatfield. Okay. A guy we talked about before. Okay. His girlfriend sent him a check and pornography in the mail. Okay. okay. And they thought it was another anthrax letter. Yeah. Foster's beliefs Oh, Foster's beliefs were published in Vanity Fair and Reader's Digest. And Hatfield sued and was later exonerated. And the lawsuit was settled out of court. So, as we spoke about before, the anthrax letters that went to the media were a coarse brown material. Mm -hmm. The Senate letters were sent with fine powder. Um, The brown granular substance gave mostly a skin infection. And Kathy Nugent's case was inhalation, though, and occurred at the same time and in the same general area as the two other skin infections and several other exposures. So, she got the brown granular substance but got inhalation. Mm. Interesting. And the other two people that were infected got skin infections. Okay. Uh, the American Media Inc. letter caused inhalation infections, and the letter was sent out at the same time as the letters that were sent out to the media. And this letter also had the brown granular anthrax. Okay. The fine powder caused more inhalation infections, which tend to be more serious and more deadly. Um, though the postal worker, Patrick O'Donnell, and accountant, Linda Birch, contracted a skin infection from the fine powder. Hmm. Um, all of this material came from the same bacterial strain. And this strain is known as the AMS- AIM strain. And the AIM strain was a common strain isolated from a cow in Texas in 1981. The name AIMS... Oh my gosh, my computer just went up. That is not what I wanted. It literally just went to page nine. The frick? Back that sheet up. Back it up, back it up. Okay, I'm back. Um, The AIM strain was a common strain isolated from a cow in Texas in 1981. The name Ames refers to a town of Ames, Iowa, but was mistakenly attached to this isolate in 1981 because of a mix-up about the mailing label on a package. First researched at the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, Fort Derrick, Maryland, the AIM strain was then distributed to 16 bioresearch labs within the U.S. and three other locations, Canada, Sweden, and the U.K. Okay. So, DNA sequencing of the anthrax taken from Robert Stevens, which was the first victim, was conducted at the Institute for Genomic Research, or TIGR, beginning in December 2001. And the sequencing was finished within a month, and the analysis was published in the Journal of Science in early 2002. And sequencing is basically determining the primary structure of the anthrax. Okay. So, the radiocarbon dating conducted by the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in June 2002 established that the anthrax was cultured no more than two years before the mailings. So, they started getting it and doing whatever with it. No more than two years. No more than two years. Yeah. And if you don't know what radiocarbon dating is, it's another term for carbon dating. And I hate freaking descriptions or, what is it, definitions. Mm. Put another word that I don't know what that means. In the definition. Yes. And so I looked up carbon dating instead. Yeah, because I don't know what carbon dating is. So this is the ter- the determination of the age or date of organic matter from the relative proportions of the carbon isotopes, carbon-12 and carbon-14, that it contains. The ratio between them changes as ra- radioactive carbon-14 decays and is not replaced by exchange with the atmosphere. So basically saying the structures in the organic matter and determining what it when it was made. Okay. Because of how much it decayed. Okay. Got it? So, like, if you, like, dig up a body or something, you would figure out when the body died based on its carbon matter. Yeah. What's left of it. Carbon dating. Right. That's the same thing. Yep. Basically. Basically. 
So early in 2002, it was noted that there were variants or mutations in the anthrax cultures that were grown from powder found in the letters to the Senate. And scientists at TIGR sequenced the complete genomes from many of these isolates during the period from 2002 to 2004. So they're still trying to figure this out mm-hmm. a few years down the road. And if you didn't know what a genome is, yep, it's the haploid set of chromosomes in a gamete or microorganism or in each cell of a multicellular organism. So, just your chromosomes in each cell. A haploid set of chromosomes. Yep. And an isolate is a culture of microorganisms isolated for study. So, basically, the isolate is the anthrax. What they're studying. Yeah. Gotcha. I was not good at biology, so I'm really glad you put all these definitions definitions in. Yeah. I have no idea what the fuck these things mean. <laughs> I just had to look them up because I'm like, I don't remember what that means. I actually really liked biology, but... I sucked at biology. Y'all are getting a biology lesson today. So, um, all of this research identified three relatively large changes in some of the isolates, or the anthrax, um, each comprising a region of DNA that had been duplicated or triplicated. Details of these mutations were published in 2001 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. In 2011. That's what I said. 2011. (laughs) I know. Okay. In 2011. Thank you. You're welcome. These changes became the basis of PCR assays used to test other samples to find any that contain the same mutations. So they're trying to find anthrax that's similar with the ones that were in the letters. Gotcha. And these were validated over the many years of the investigation, and the repository of AIM samples was also being built. So they're just trying to figure out what um what anthrax does this match from what they're comparing it to different yeah they're comparing it to all types of different anthrax to see which one it matches to see where it could have come from yes gotcha so from roughly 2003 to 2006 the repository and the screening of the 1070 aim samples in the repository were completed Based on the testing, the FBI concluded that flask RMR1029 was the parent material of the anthrax spore powder. So the fine powder, they found out where it came from, basically. Gotcha. On October 24th of 2001, USAMRIID scientist Peter Jarling was summoned to the White House after he reported signs that silicon had been added to the anthrax, recovered from the letter addressed to Dashiell. So they're back on this weaponized anthrax deal whether or not it has silicon in it yes so as we talked about earlier earlier silicon would make the anthrax more capable of penetrating the lungs it makes it easier to inhale Mm -hmm. um seven years later jarling told the los angeles times on september 17 2008 i believe i made an honest honest mistake adding that he had been overly impressed by what he thought he saw under the microscope so basically saying he was wrong I mean, at least he admitted to it. Mm-hmm. So, Richard Preston's book provides details of conversation and events at USAM RIID during the period from October 16, 2001 to October 25, 2001. Key scientists described to Richard Preston what they were thinking during that period. When the dashel spores first arrived at USAM RIID, the key concern was that smallpox viruses might be mixed with the spores. Hmm. So, they're trying to figure out what else is in this anthrax? Is it just the anthrax? Is it other things? Because mm-hmm. you just want to know. Right. Um, Peter Jarling met John Ezel in a hallway and said in a loud voice, God damn it, John, we need to know if the powder is laced with smallpox. Yikes. Thus, the initial search was for the signs of smallpox viruses. On October 16th, Scientists began by examining spores that had been in a milky white liquid from a field test done by the FBI's Hazardous Materials Response Unit. Liquid chemicals were then used to deactivate the spores, and when scientists turned up the power on the electron beam of the transmission electron microscope, the spores began to ooze. Yeah. So, whoa, Peter Jarling muttered, hunched over the eyepieces, something was boiling off the spores. This is clearly bad stuff, he said. Yikes. The, I'm literally imagining, like, Oozing. people cooking meth. Yeah. And it, like, boiling? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Nice. I don't know. Because you cook it. I don't know. Do you? 
I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think you do. So, this was, wasn't was your typical anthrax. Anthrax shouldn't be oozing. Yeah, no. So, the spores had obviously had something in it, an additive of some sort. Yeah, mixed with some to mm-hmm. make it worse. So, on October 25th, 2001, the day after senior officials at the White House were informed that additives had been found in the anthrax, a scientist, Tom Geispert, took a different irradiated sample of the Dashiell anthrax to the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology to find out if the powder contained any metals or elements, anything else that could damage someone's lungs pretty mm-hmm. much. So, AFIP's energy dispersive x-ray spectrometer reportedly indicated that there were two extra elements in the spores, silicon and oxygen. Silicon dioxide is glass or sand, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and the anthrax terrorist or terrorist had put powdered glass or silica into the anthrax. The silica was powdered so finely that under Geisbert's electron microscope, it had looked like fried egg gunk dripping off the spores. Ugh. Yeah. So when they put this liquid in there, it made some type of chemical reaction with the silicon to make it ooze. Mm-hmm. The goop Peter Jarling had seen oozing from the spores was not seen when AFIP examined different spores killed with radiation. Hmm. Y'all. Weird. This is a lot of information I'm throwing at y'all right now, so I'm sorry. Well, I'm sure, like, if you look at something under a microscope, you're in a... I don't know. Maybe think it's one thing and it's something else. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can understand why that would happen. Yeah. And then they do something to make it have a chemical reaction. And then they realize, oh, this is in there. Right. Lots of tests. Lots of different eyes looking at it. mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's going to have their own opinion about what it looks like. So the controversy began the day after the White House meeting. The New York Times reported, contradicting some U.S. officials, three scientists call anthrax powder high-grade. Two experts say the anthrax was altered to produce a more deadly weapon. The Washington Post reported, additive made spores deadlier. Countless news stories discussed the additives for the next eight years, continuing into 2010. Dang. Yeah. So this debate has been going on for a long time. So, later... The FBI claimed a lone individual could have created anthrax spores for as little as $2,500 using readily available laboratory equipment. Hmm. So, someone who looked at or worked at a lab would only have to spend $2,500 to make anthrax spores if they wanted to. So, a number of press reports appeared suggesting the Senate anthrax had coatings and additives like we talked about. Newsweek reported the anthrax sent to Senator Leahy had been coated with a chemical compound previously unknown to bioweapons experts. On October 28, 2002, the Washington Post reported FBI's theory on anthrax is doubted. Hmm. Um, We talked about fumed silica earlier, but we didn't really get into what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, it suggested that the Senate spores were coated with a fumed silica. This is also known as pyrogenic silica because it is produced in a flame consist of microscopic droplets of am- amorphous, amor- amorphous? amorphous silica fused into branched, chain-like, three-dimensional secondary particles, which then agglomerate into tertiary particles, which I have no idea what that is. Let's just say... That it's produced in a flame, and it's in microscopic droplets, and it goes into some type of particle. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's called fumed silica. Yeah. Fumed. Fumed. Like a flame. Mm Mm-hmm. I really should have dived more into the descriptions of stuff, but it's just like... There's lots of descriptions in Mm -hmm. here, I think. So, two bioweapons experts that... Too close. Two... Sorry. Two, <laughs> two, two, two bioweapons experts that were utilized as consultants by the FBI, Kenneth Alabeck and Matthew Messelson, were shown electron micrographs of the anthrax from the Dashiell letter. So, um, November 5th, 2002, letter to the editors of the Washington Post, they stated that they saw no evidence the anthrax spores had been coated with fume silica. So there are so many scientists looking at this crap, 
they're like one one scientist says one thing and then another scientist yep. is like no i don't think so yeah so it's all up in the air a november 28 2003 article in science magazine suggests that the senate anthrax was a diabolical advance in biological weapons technology I think it's because they can't really figure it figure out how mm-hmm. it was made. Yeah. So it's making it like way worse because mm-hmm. they they're slamming their scientists. Yeah. And they can't figure out right what this person or these people did mm-hmm. to the anthrax to make it yeah the way that it is. So the article describes a technique used to anchor silica and nanoparticles to the surface of spores using polymerized glass. Okay. Which silica is glass. It can be made sand. into glass. Yeah. Sand. Yeah. Glass is sand. Basically. According to Stuart Jacobson, polymerized sand is a silane or silosane compound that's been dissolved in an alcohol-based solvent like ethanol. So, it can be very, like, flammable. Mm-hmm. It leaves a thin, glassy coating that helps bind the silica to particle surfaces. So, binding the silica to the anthrax. Mm-hmm. What? I just thought of this. Mm-hmm. If sand is glass, mm-hmm. because when you heat sand up to a certain point, mm-hmm. it becomes glass, mm-hmm. would that mean that the silica is fumed silica? Because you use a flame. Yeah, fumed silica fumed would silica. be glass. Okay. Okay. I just made that connection in my head. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, you're good. Actually, fun fact, the world is running out of sand. Is it really? Because we've made so much glass, we're running out of sand. And using it, people use it for their homes and things like that. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. running out of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's a non-renewable resource. Yep. Anywho. Let's continue. An August 2006 article in Applied and Environmental Microbiology written by Douglas Beecher of the FBI Labs in Quantico, Virginia. Quantico? Criminal Minds, bro. I know what Quantico is. Okay. This states, individuals familiar with the compositions of the powders in the letters have indicated that they were comprised simply of spores purified to different extents. So, basically saying they were made of just the spores but Mm -hmm. purified differently okay the article also specifically criticizes a widely circulated misconception that the spores were produced using additives and sophisticated engineering supposedly akin to military weapon production okay the harm done by this misconception is described this way this idea is usually the basis for implying that the powders were inordinately dangerous compared to spores alone the persistent credence given to this impression fosters Uranus preconceptions, which may misguide research and preparedness efforts and genuinely detract from the magnitude of hazards posed by simple spore preparations. <clears throat> Basically, they're saying that um, the impression is making it seem like this, just the regular anthrax spores are not as dangerous. Mm-hmm. As what they really can be. Right. Okay. So, critics of the article complained it didn't provide any supporting references. In late October 2001, ABC chief investigative correspondent Brian Ross linked the anthrax sample to Saddam Hussein because of its purportedly containing the unusual additive bentonite. And bentonite is an absorbent swelling clay consisting mostly of Montremorillon. Oh my gosh, guys. <laughs> I am not a scientist. <laughs> it's an absorbent clay, okay? And it usually forms from weathering of volcanic ash in seawater. Okay. And it also can convert to volcanic glass. Okay? Okay. Yeah, let's just say that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but I really wanted to do this. Okay, I'm sorry if y'all don't understand. Just try, just, just, you really have to think about this one. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. So, sources tell ABC News the anthrax in the tainted letter sent to Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle was laced with bentonite. 
The potent additive is known to have been used by only one country in producing biochemical weapons, Iraq. It is a trademark of Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein's biological weapons program. The discovery of bentonite came in an urgent series of tests conducted at Fort Derrick, Maryland, and elsewhere. So they're basically trying to say that Saddam Hussein did this. Yeah. Because of the bentonite. Mm-hmm. He's dead now, ain't he? Yes. But he was not dead at this time. No. On October 28th, Ross said that despite continued White House denials, four well-placed and separate sources have told ABC News that initial tests on the anthrax by the U.S. Army at Fort Derrick, Maryland, have detected trace amounts of the chemical additives bentonite and silica, a charge that was repeated several times on October 28th and 29th. So this reporter is like, oh, just because the White House is denying it, I have sources. Oh, where's your sources, bro? Where are they? Stop spreading misinformation. Right. It's annoying. You're just freaking out people even more. Mm-hmm. On October 29, 2001, White House spokesman Scott Stanzel disputed reports that the anthrax sent to the Senate contained bentonite, an additive that had been used in Iraqi President Saddam Hussein's biological weapons program. Stanzel said, based on the test results we have, no bentonite has been found. So I think they were just trying to say that because they were trying to... Like, just say that he did it. Just yeah, I think they were just answer. trying to have that narrative of Saddam Hussein. He did it right. because of the 2001 attacks. Right. Which I could understand why people might think that. But, like, the you test results... You can't just dismiss it. You can't just be like, oh, he did it. Yeah. When the there's test results, no evidence that he did yeah, it. No. So, the same day, Major General John Parker at the White House briefing stated, We do not... We do know that we found silica in samples. Now, we don't know what that motive would be or why it would be there or anything. But there is silica in the samples, and that led us to be absolutely sure that there was no aluminum in the sample, because the combination of silicate plus aluminum is sort of the major ingredients of bentonite. So it was just silica, no aluminum. Gotcha. Just over a week later, Homeland Security Advisor Tom Ridge in a White House press conference on November 7, 2001 stated... The ingredient that we talked about before was silicon. Neither Ross at ABC nor anyone else publicly pursued any further claims about bentonite, despite Ross's original claim that four well-placed and separate sources had confirmed its detection. Because he never said what those sources were. Yeah, so he was lying. He was just making it up. Mm Mm-hmm. So, some of the anthrax spores, 65-75% to 75% in the anthrax attack letters, contained silicon inside their spore coats. Silicon was even reportedly found inside the natural spore coat of the spore that was still inside the mother germ, which was asserted to confirm that the element was not added after the spores were formed, were formed and purified. So, basically, it was found inside, like, the germinated, like, mother spore. It wasn't added. Yeah. It was already there. Yep. Gotcha. So, this basically means that the spores weren't weaponized because it was already there. It wasn't added later on. Okay. So, in 2010, a Japanese study reported that silicon is considered a quasi-essential or almost essential element for most living organisms. However, silicate uptake in bacteria and its physiological functions have remained obscure. So, they don't really know what... The silicate does in the bacteria, like mm-hmm. what function it does, if that makes sense. Okay. So the study showed that the spores from some species can contain as much as 6.3% dry weight of silicates. For more than 20 years, significant levels of silicon had been reported in spores of at least some of the species, including those of Bacillus cereus, a close relative of B. anthracis, which I think is like anthrax in the latin form okay fancy words y'all fancy words fancy so according to spore expert peter setlow since silicate accumulation in other organisms can impart structural rigidity perhaps silicate plays a role for spores as well saying that maybe it plays a role in developing mm-hmm. the fbi lab concluded that 1.4 percent of the powder in the Leahy letter was silicon so it wasn't just all anthrax it was, there was silicon in. Yeah. 
Stuart Jacobson, a small particle chemistry expert, stated that this is a shockingly high proportion. It is a number one would expect from deliberate weaponization of anthrax, but not from any conceivable accidental contamination. Like, this was meant to happen. Mm -hmm. They didn't just do this on accident. Like, that's enough percent of it that it's not just there on accident, that it was placed there for a reason. Exactly. And I think that's where we're going to stop today. Sorry about all the information. I know it's a lot, but it just really contributes to the story. There's a lot of science behind it. Yeah, because there was a lot of, like, investigation in the science department and controversy of silicon or no silicon. A lot of back and forth mm-hmm. and what what it could be, what it couldn't be. Basically, yeah. Different opinions. Sorry, that wasn't really... That was about the investigation of the anthrax. It wasn't really about any investigation about any people. But we will get into that in part two. Okay. So, that's all I've got for Sounds today. Sounds good. Interesting. Yeah, I had, I had never heard of this before. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. So, go home and do some biology research. JK, because I already gave you enough for today. That was <laughs> overwhelming for me. There's your biology research for this week. <laughs> well, don't forget to go subscribe to our Patreon. Yep. If you um, want to support us. Our mukbang is on there if you guys want to okay i'm like no it's not it <laughs> are you gonna post it did you post it um it is i'm getting ready to post it, it just it's done uploading so okay. i'm getting ready to post okay, it. okay cool so our mukbang is on there hell yeah and our bonus episode is on there we ate popeyes so go check mm-hmm. it out in that in that video you get to learn a little bit about more a mm-hmm. little more about us as individuals oh show anyway thanks for listening And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.